Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hi, it's Claire here. What are you doing this Friday lunchtime? There's still time to sign up to the FT's free personal finance and careers webinar on April 21st with me and Isabel Berwick, the host of our Working It podcast. To sign up for your free place, visit ft.com slash money events or follow the link in today's show notes. You know, I cringe to think of, you know, some of the interviews that I've experienced in the past, you know, going into an interview situation and being asked, oh, you know, were you engaged? When do you intend to get married? And then when do you intend to have, you know, start a family? And I, of course, I shot those questions down in flames. Mm. <laughs> but, it, you know, I know that my experience is not rare. Welcome to Mummy Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's Consumer Editor. Coming up, what women need to know about money and relationships. I'll be sharing a conversation I had as part of an event I did in partnership with Flick, the FT's financial literacy charity, where I was joined by three fantastic experts who spend their careers empowering women and girls with their finances. We'll be discussing things like how to talk about money in a relationship, spotting the signs of financial abuse, managing money as a single person, and how to plan your finances before trying for a baby. First up, let's hear from Davina Tomlinson. She is the founder of RainCheck, a financial advice service for women. Plus, she's the author of Cash is Queen, a book aimed at encouraging teenage girls to make the most of their money. My background was in investment management, so I spent the best part of two decades working in the industry and loved it. Um, but what I recognised is that there was is this widening chasm between men and women when it comes to our propensity to manage our our money, invest our money for the long term. And I couldn't understand why. And I think coming from such a matriarchal background as I do, mm. you know, and recognising that women very much held the purse strings within my household, I wanted to see that success replicated elsewhere. And that's really where Raincheck was born. And of course, that's now extended into my book, Cash's Queen, which yeah. is all about helping the next generation of young women take control of their financial futures early as well. Now, we'll talk a little bit about Cash is Queen because it's aimed at a really interesting cohort of of women-to-be, I suppose I should say, 10 to 16-year-olds. Why did you pick them? You know, I felt that we were missing a trick in that we were waiting until people reached adulthood and we were already, you know, knee-deep in the mire of financial complexity, managing our finances, navigating some of these conversations in our households before we started to 
try and educate women about how they could optimise their financial well-being. And so what I wanted to do in Cash is Queen was to address the next generation, really targeting young ladies on the cusp of adulthood as they're mm. going through adolescence. We've got all of these other competing pressures, puberty, periods, getting our training bras, all of these things, you know, that can stress you out as a teenage girl. But what I wanted to do was to empower them and have them feel that money was something that they could achieve mastery in long before they reached adulthood. Our second guest is Nicola Sharp-Jeffs, the founder and CEO of the charity Surviving Economic Abuse. You might recognise her from our previous Money Clinic episode about financial abuse. My background is in the women's sector, so working in the violence against women and girls, um, domestic abuse space. And I think what really struck me um, as I spoke to them was the economic impact that the abuse had had on them. So that included economic control as part of the abuse that they'd experienced, but also how that led them to be in a position where they really struggled to move forward and to be independent. And I think, you know, this could happen to any one of us. And I remember seeing... Um, reflected back to me my own self and it just made me really passionate because I felt that the potential of some of the women that I was spoken to had been curtailed, um, they weren't living the life that they should have been living um, and as I say it made me really passionate to raise awareness of this particular form of abuse and I established Surviving Economic Abuse back in 2017 and um, I think the success of the charity is just a reflection of how much it's needed. And our third expert today is Toby Asare, the founder of the blog and community My Bump Pay, which she set up to help women navigate the financial challenges of maternity leave. So My Bump Pay is a platform designed to help women smash the glass ceiling of the baby on the way and beyond. And I started it having been the very first person in my organisation in that particular office location to go on maternity leave. I was incredibly ambitious and I had lots of questions about how I was going to make it work and stay on that success trajectory that I was on. Amongst having all these questions, I'd talk to my friends about it, different people along the journey, and I'd find that I wasn't alone. And actually, I just had a spark one day to think, what if I put all of this information that is actually already out there, but put it all in one place in a way that's really engaging, in a way that people can grapple with it, but also in a way that gives people the confidence to make the right decisions with all the information at their fingertips. So it's been an incredible journey, starting off as a blog, then kind of transferred over to Instagram and is now um, in the form of a book called The Blend, which is available to purchase now. So of our four things that we said that we think every woman should know about money, I think one of the most important ones is how you manage money with your partner. A couple of the questions that we're getting um, coming in, some people are questioning whether there's a difference between the way that women and men um, manage their money. Other people are saying that because of the earnings differential between them in a couple, um, should people be contributing differently um, into the joint account, if you have a joint account, because very few people seem to have one nowadays, maybe it shouldn't be 50-50, particularly if it's after you've gone back to work, after having children, you've cut your hours down, your earnings power has has been gone. But how could you um, bring up this um, in conversation? Any, any tips for people who are watching thinking, yes, actually, I've never thought about that? Because <laughs> it's the lack of disposable income, I think, that prevents women um, from investing more, from from saving more. That is the biggest barrier. Um, it's not that we don't know about investing, that we don't realise how important it is. It's just literally having the cash. Mm. I think from my perspective and speaking as somebody that is divorced and so coming at the end of a relationship, um, 
and learning some of the lessons. And it's one of the things that I'm always quite keen to share with the Rainmaker community, because I think a lack of transparency is, again, one of the things, one of the impediments to women being able to assert economic independence and empowerment and really self-advocate. And so I think it's really important that you start your relationship on the basis of full transparency. And that might look like saying, right, you know, I think we should have a money date. Um, it doesn't have to be in the households, but try, you know, trying to sexy it up a bit and, and not make it such a, you know, <laughs> like perfunctory that. thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, do it outside the household. If you think that it potentially might get contentious, try to unpick some of the reasons why. So just trying to, you know, start from a position of empathy and compassion. You're in love with one another. So that's a good place to begin. But I think just taking the time to recognise that having that openness is ultimately what will mean everybody gets to benefit. So nobody should feel that they are disadvantaged mm. by those conversations. Well, I couldn't agree more. But I mean, <laughs> Nicola, obviously there is a dark side to, to this. Now, some, um, you know, financial concealment, you could call it, or one person being more of the master of money in relationship than the other. I mean, I am that person um, in my relationship. It can often come from a place of, of love. Um, it can often come from a place of the other person, whether male or female, not really wanting to be that involved. Because, I mean, if I was paid by the hour for all of the financial admin I did for my family, <laughs> I wouldn't need to work for the FT. <laughs> but obviously, the darker side is that it can be used um, for negative reasons. Absolutely. So I think this point about being secretive about finances might be a warning sign. Um, a partner w not wanting to have that discussion, finding excuses not to have it. Um, always amazed by the number of victims and survivors I speak to who didn't know how much their partner earned, for example. They didn't mm. know whether their name was on the mortgage for the house. Um, so really important to be having those conversations really early on. And I guess um, what I would say around, you know, we all have arguments, of course, we don't, we don't always agree. But the, the kind of the line for me in terms of what's an argument and what becomes abusive in a form of control is whether or not, um, you know, you're confident and you feel safe to have those conversations. So mm. are you in a relationship where you can speak about these issues, um, where you're not concerned that by raising them, um, there might be some kind of punishment or retribution, for example, for doing so? Mm. Well, that's why we made it the, the second thing that we want women to know on this webinar, how to spot the signs. So my um, big kind of call to action was that we need to start speaking about money in relationships earlier on to sort of make it a bit more normal and also test the waters. Uh, absolutely. There's so many different ways in which you can introduce that conversation. Um, you know, I think, you know, to your point that as a society, we definitely don't talk about finances. We also don't talk about abuse. I kind of see it as a double taboo. So with financial abuse, we're kind of bringing together two things that we just don't talk about as a society. So really important, you know, and I would say, you know, from sort of early on, I speak to victims and survivors who say, actually, looking back, there were some real signs. Um, mm. You know, I was always picking up, you know, the bill for um, when we went out for dinner in a restaurant or... Um, you know, actually, at the beginning, it looked like really caring um, behaviour. So, you know, you're so busy. Why don't I take care of the finances so that you have time to spend with the children? Or again, you know, you don't need to go back to work. Um, you know, you can spend time with the children. You don't have to worry about that. I earn enough for the both of us. And what we learn um, through speaking to victims and survivors is that, you know, just 
little by little and they don't really notice it necessarily, but they suddenly realise that they're losing that independence. Um, you know, a really similar thing around joint bank accounts, which actually is a, a bit of a telltale sign, again, in relation to domestic abuse, is the partner insisting on setting up a joint bank account, saying, you know, if you really cared about me in this relationship, if you were in a partnership with me, you wouldn't need your own bank account. You know, so this importance of, you know, kind of hanging on to your um, financial independence so that if you do kind of, you know, get to the point where you're sort of blind on the joint finances. Um, we know that women who don't have access to £100 at short notice are three and a half times more likely to experience abuse mm. because the perpetrator recognises that they've just got no way out. Gosh, that's a really, really damning statistic. Toby, Davinia, do you want to come in on this yeah. topic? Toby, I think you've written about this actually in your book. Well, I think money in general is really important to talk about and we talk about talking about money and how we actually don't talk about money. And there's lots of studies that show that if women don't talk about money, therefore they're less confident in negotiating for money and salaries. And that's lots of stuff that we cover in the book. And it's really important at every stage of your career, not just as you enter into parenthood. But there's a study that shows that if women don't do that over their lifetime, they could lose between 1 million and 1.5 million pounds left on the table over their lifetime. Being an FC journalist, let me interrogate that one million pound figure slightly. So this is things like not asking for a pay rise and you don't get that money. Not moving jobs, maybe because you work part time. That's something that I see again and again with my own friends. I go part time and find it harder to job hop. Mm. And it's the job hop yeah. that increases the earnings power more significantly than kind of natural um, promotion within the same organisation what what else? Not being able to afford to pay into the pension, missing the Yes, pack. that's a huge one. I think that's where that you probably see the largest chasm is if you are taking maybe a particular type of employment because you maybe are forced to, maybe because of childcare or because of the way that your um, life is just set up, then therefore you're contributing less into your pension pot, especially if you're not claiming child benefit and therefore you're kind of missing out on those those credits to make sure that you've got enough. Is, yeah. Um, so there are various different ways that we could miss out. But I also just think just negotiating, just having the confidence and the willingness to ask, oh, okay, is that it? Or, but why? Or doing your research around a particular sphere, so be it a, a career, and making sure that you know that you're being paid your market rate and your market value. Um, and I also think maternity leave or coming back into work is a really interesting and important inflection point. Make sure that you are included in any kind of salary um, reviews if you are on maternity leave. Those are all points at which we should be talking about money that sometimes as women we shy away from. Mm. Use your contact days wisely. Now, <laughs> I'm going to throw to a question here just because, Nicola, we've had a question from somebody watching. It's slightly upsetting to, to read it. Um, she says, my husband has asked for every single savings account login that I have, the login name and the password. But I don't know about any of his investments. My question is, is this financial abuse? Well, based on what you just said, it certainly doesn't sound like a healthy balance within a relationship. It certainly doesn't sound like a balance, does it, if that's not reciprocated um, in terms of the behaviour. And one of the things we see around that kind of blindness that can happen um, is the login details, um, you know, could be taken and in this instance changed. So she then can't get back into her own mm. savings accounts, which would be really worrying. So um, I think, you know, in this situation, um, it could be a sign of abuse. Um, and I would, in this situation, perhaps suggest yeah, that she talk she to do? her bank um, mm. about this. Um who you know can perhaps support her and, and find a way um, of managing this situation alongside um, a support 
line or service. Um, certainly if you go onto the Surviving Economic Abuse website, um, there'll be some information there um, about how she could find out more. But yeah, I would absolutely um, you know, suggest that she takes some, some advice and, and gets some support around this. Um, yeah, perhaps well, talk to friends and family and bring them in a little bit. Yes, definitely talk to friends and family. And thank you for putting it out there and being brave mm-hmm. to, to ask the question. I'm going to move on to our next topic now, which is about how how you can deal with the single tax. Now, when I first said I wanted to make this one of the four topics that, that we talked about, a couple of people said, well, what is the single tax? And I have to say, as somebody who was single um, for most of her 20s, um, it's just so much harder to do anything financially if there's one of you. Um quantitative easing, the soaring um, house prices that we've seen over the last 15 years since I managed to buy a flat as a single person. Uh, you know, I'd struggle to buy the same flat now, um, even on a on a higher wage if I was completely on my own. And this is something that does have a bearing on our romantic relationships. Toby, I'll bring you into this because, of course, being a single parent mm. adds an extra dimension um, to, to the single tax, doesn't yeah, it? It absolutely does, especially if you have small children who are of the age where they potentially could be going to nursery versus going to school. That cost can be as astronomical as it is mm. for individuals that are in a relationship, but let alone being somebody who's not in a relationship or happens to be a single parent. And to those people out there, I would say it's finding your tribe and finding your village. And if you're very fortunate to have parents and grandparents nearby, lean on them if you can as much as possible. But also friends can help people at the school gates, you know, build community where you are as much as you possibly can. Um, But also maybe even speak to your employer and see what they what they offer. They may offer some contribution towards childcare, whether it's some kind of salary sacrifice scheme. Um, and if they don't, <laughs> try and have a conversation about about that because that will enable you to have more focus on your work and to kind of lead into your career. So hopefully that might help you in the long run in terms of your earnings trajectory to try and help hopefully offset the challenges of being a single parent. Okay, so we're going to cover our fourth and final area now before we move on um, to to viewers' questions, which is the money things that you need to know and have talked about to your partner before you even think about trying for a baby. (laughs) Toby, do you want to kick us off on this one? (laughs) I think the two critical things before you think about starting a family are um, understanding what your career journey is might look like and that's for you as an individual and that's for the other partner and really having a really honest and frank discussion about what are the some of the things that you want to achieve now this book is saying that you can absolutely achieve those things along the way whilst growing your family but you do have to be incredibly strategic so having that conversation being really open about how do we want to potentially do this theoretically how do we want to navigate childcare? so that's one thing and then the second thing I would say, I say it a lot, I preach about it a lot, but have a look at your maternity and paternity policy mm. or parental leave policy. It is an absolute must. I really encourage people to both parties in the relationship to have a look at mm. their policies and to see what they're eligible for before they start into the wonderful baby making stage. <laughs> well, I, I say, I say, I say <laughs> we won't talk so much about, about that. You don't need any of our advice, but you know, carry on, carry on them as you, as you were with, with that bit. But well, I think two brilliant questions that you could ask in any job interviews that you go to, and this applies to men as well as women, frankly, are what is the paternal leave policy? And the second one is, 
what's the company pension scheme? Um, because again, these things, company to company, one might be very generous, another company might be not generous at all. Now, Can I just add something Yes, there? please do. Just, I think there's a role for an employer here as well. Yes. What we found with economic abuse is that it kind of can follow life stages. And actually, if you're pregnant, you're more at risk of abuse because of that financial dependency. So we'd actually also encourage employers to be having conversations. You know, if um, one of their employees is going off onto maternity leave to actually say things like, you know, have you talked about how you're going to manage, you know, are you going to be coming back to work? Those kind of conversations, um, because again, it provides the space not only to have those conversations and to start normalising them, but, you know, perhaps potentially to disclose or to discuss any worries. Well, one of your ideas from your blog, my stepdaughter has recently had twins. Um, when she first found out she was pregnant, I sent her um, <laughs> these articles from your website and I said, right, dear, um, when you tell your boss um, that you were expecting say that you want a projection of your maternity pay and what you're going to get month by month, um, because it is a shock to many people when they find out that there's probably going to be three months or maybe mm. even longer where they're going to get absolutely nothing. And this is when their personal finances are at the absolute kind of nadir yes. because they're about to um, have to pay for childcare, okay. nursery deposits, um, all the rest of it. You need to be able to budget if you're going to have these big changes. And that, Nicola, I think mm. is something that companies could could really do. Yeah. Budgeting when you're um, on maternity leave is crucial, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely common. And I love what you just said there. And, and actually in the book, we have a diagram that literally shows it in visual representation. So months, you know, one to nine almost, there's some money. And then months nine onwards, there is zero mm. coming in. Mm, anything that you want to add on this topic? Yeah, I mean, as you know, the ladies have been talking, one of the things that strikes me is that it really is a team effort. You know, for those women that are not having, you know, children by themselves, by choice or otherwise, if you're in a relationship in which you are choosing to start a family, it shouldn't be the burden of the woman alone to be thinking about some of the economic and financial consequences of starting a family. You know, I cringe to think of, you know, some of the interviews that I've experienced in the past, you know, shortly after I got engaged, going into an interview situation and being asked, oh, you know, well, you're engaged, when do you intend to get married? And then when do you intend to have, you know, start a family? And I, of course, I shot those questions down in flames. Mm. <laughs> but, it, you know, I know that my experience is not a rare experience, mm. and I'm yeah. sure Toby can attest yeah. to this. <laughs> But also I think, you know, so of course employers do have responsibility to make sure that they're asking appropriate questions mm, during interview conversations. Course, yeah. But I think the other thing that I would add is that there is a conversation to be had, you know, to, specifically to your question about what should we be thinking about mm. before we start trying even. Understanding from your partner what is their attitude towards that financial dependency. Are they happy mm. to be the primary or, you know, to take the lead on finances in the relationship at a point where, as you say, you're at the nadir from your own financial perspective. Are they happy to shoulder responsibility for part of the childcare? To what extent, what proportion of that childcare are they happy to contribute towards? Mm. Because I think this is one of the things, when you've got your love goggles on, and you're deep in the throes <laughs> of the relationship, you've got hearts in your eyes, yeah. you're not asking your partner, you know, well, who's going to do the pick up and drop off? Yeah. You know, who, you know, in the school holidays, are you happy to, to use some of your holiday. Mm, um, yeah. So having those kinds of conversations, I think, is also key mm. to this. Okay, fantastic. Well, I'm going to devote the rest of the session to your questions. Um, how do we prevent wealth inequality um, in a couple when one person bears the brunt of the childcare and therefore long-term loss of earnings? Um, asks one viewer. Toby, do you want to come on this first? Yeah, how how can we structure the talk? Yeah, 
I think don't have that talk just before you go to bed. <laughs> I think timing timing is so important. And I think structuring the talk as a family vision. So there's different ways that you might want to approach it, but it could be having a family vision board party, for example. A family and, vision board party. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, laying out or cutting pictures or getting pictures from online of what you want your family set up to look like. And therefore then having a conversation about what it's going to take to achieve that and who needs to play which role at which time to achieve that. So I think those are different ways to kind of have the conversation. It can be incredibly daunting, but I think looking at it as a kind of complete family goal does sometimes help. Any other advice for the imbalance? We've got a couple of people talking about the ratio, saying with the cost of living crisis, is it fair to ask your partner to contribute more to household bills? And how would you approach that conversation? I mean, our, our, our personal show, I earn more than my husband and we have a ratio method and I pay two thirds and he pays one third because I think that's fair. I don't want to denude his um, savings, not that he saves as much as he should, um, but, you know, it's his money. I can't, I can't force him to. Um, starting a conversation and saying that, though, is, um, is difficult, Davinia and Nicola. Mm, I mean, I thinking very practically really like the ratio method mm. purely because I think there's an it, it's objective mm. and I think conversations around money as much as you know it is numerical it's very emotionally charged and I think it's much easier to present a case for for why it should be done on the basis of ratio rather than us going to what has been viewed as the automatic balance which is 50 50 mm. which could ultimately lead the lower earning partner financially worse off when we look at disposable income. So I think trying to achieve that gender parity in your relationship is a good model, actually, for them when you go out into the workplace. Well, and if you want a conversation opener on your money date with your partner, <laughs> you can say, well, I was listening to a Financial Times webinar, which the ratio method um, was mentioned. It's not a sexual position. Um, it's, for dealing, it's for dealing with our bills. Um, now, final question about um, the risks of cohabiting um, without being married, particularly if you own a property. Mm. Um, another similar one, somebody who owns a property um, and their um, partner is about to move in, um, asking how it will affect them. I mean, on the um, subject of things like life insurance and also inheritance tax, they're the two biggies, really, that you need to be thinking about as a couple. Um, if you don't have... Um, a civil partnership or, or or a marriage, if you are cohabiting, there's no such thing um, as common law. But I mean, mm -hmm. Davinia, a lot of women just don't don't realise this. Yeah, a lot of men don't realise. Absolutely, and I think this is the juncture. This is one of the questions that I get again quite frequently from rain check customers, um, and this is the point at which I think it pays to get qualified and regulated financial advice. So this is not going on social media and taking advice from who mm. seems the most popular in the personal finance sphere, but instead speaking to somebody that is trained mm. to give you proper information and advice about what best to do. So, for example, with regards to your property, it might be making sure you've got an appropriate deed of trust in place mm -hmm. yep. so that it's quite clear who's contributed what and you're not having that wrangle in the event that the relationship should ultimately dissolve. And of course, you've got the emotional consequences to deal with there. You don't also want to have to deal with the financial implications of that too. Um, but I think just being, you know, have, knowing your way around the different relationship statuses and, and the benefits and the consequences of each one, because as you rightly say, I think lots of us, because we live in such a um, far more liberal society than perhaps our grandmother's generations. And so on that basis, there are 
far fewer of us who are choosing to get married and not necessarily understanding that in cohabiting laws of succession, for example, are quite different than they might otherwise be. That's it for Money Clinic with me, Claire Barrett, this week, and we hope you like what you've heard. If you did, spread the word, leave us a review. We're always looking to chat with people about their money issues for the show, so if you're interested in being part of a future episode and are looking for some expert money advice, then email us, money at ft.com. You could also take a peek at our website, ft.com slash money, grab a copy of the FT Weekend newspaper, or follow me on Instagram. I'm at Claire B. Money Clinic was produced in London by Persis Love. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner, and our editor is Manuela Saragosa. You heard original tunes this week by Metaphor Music. And finally, our usual disclaimer, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's all the small print for now. See you back here next week. Goodbye. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. The latest episode of The Next Five podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Bryan, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of The Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy.